This episode of Country Career Spotlight is brought to you by Kill Rockstars, celebrating 30 years of music that matters regardless of genre, gender, orientation, or classification. KRS.gay. Cowpokes and get ready to hit the trail with Country Queer Spotlight, the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. Join your host, Rachel Coles, as she chats with her guests about their music, their background, their influences, and more. Let's ride. Ride me, cow. Hello, cowpokes. Welcome to Country Queer Spotlight. I'm so excited for you to listen to my interview with Joe Troop as we discuss his new album, Borrowed Time. My name is Rachel Kolst. Before we get into the interview, I just want to give a little content warning. Joe and I talk about respectability politics in the queer community, and he throws around a word that begins with F that many have uh, come to define as a slur uh, quite a bit in the interview. I don't have a problem with it, but I, of course, understand and respect that some people have a lot of trauma around that word. So I would skip ahead at the 5 minute 30 mark, just hit that 30 second skip button, you know, like twice, and then we'll get back to that regular programming. However, he does use some salty language because he had been working with kids in a camp and was just kind of letting it all out in our conversation. So you probably want to wear headphones for this one anyway. Thanks for being here and enjoy. Hi, cowpokes. Welcome back to another episode of Country Queer Spotlight. Uh, today we're talking with Joe Troop, who is as much a musician as he is an activist. Joe is also a world traveler, which I can't wait to hear about. And these travels have informed the backbone of his musical projects. He gained prominence alongside his Latin grass band, Jay Appalache. Their album, Rearrange My Heart, was nominated for Best Folk Album at the 2019 Grammys. Joe's got a new album coming up on August 20th called Borrowed Time. Before Joe and I chat, let's listen to one of the songs off that album, especially pertinent to country queer, Pretty Little Rainbows. pawn shop trash like me the two cent queers and pork chop queens this is a song to celebrate the me's and you's we've got that good old greasy pride some like it boiled we like it fried a bacon pancake to help the rain clouds pass on through the little groundhogs came of age all eyes on us we're center stage We've waddled far and wide to preach our simple truth. 
And from atop life's tallest bridges And through the heart of all religions We'll let our pretty little rainbow shine on you Walk the same past many times before we're gone. On chilly nights by shivering trees, we'll cuddle up with moonshine glee. A grizzled bunch of happy critters, dusk till dawn. But if we should find ourselves once more behind some mean old trapper's door, we'll knock the hinges off till our teeth come loose. Then from atop life's tallest bridges And through the heart of all religions We'll let our pretty little rainbow shine anew Yes, from atop life's tallest bridges And through the heart of all religions We'll let our pretty little rainbow shine on you So I read on the bluegrass situation that this song is your commentary on rainbow capitalism. And I know that's something that we've talked about a lot on country queer and in general queer spaces. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about your background, like maybe your queer journey and also how this particular song coalesced, because it's certainly a dialogue that's been around for a while now. And I'm sure there was like this one aha moment that you're like, oh, finally, I figured out how to pin this idea into a song. My journey is, as a gay person started, you know, when I fully recognized that I was gay at 14. And I was still in North Carolina and just a suburban kid from North Carolina. A lot of people mistakenly think I'm, I'm truly rural, but I'm what they call in rural organizing spheres, a rural adjacent person and therefore rural, because I guess compared mm-hmm. to someone from New York, I would be rural, but I'm from a, a pretty big city in North Carolina standards, Winston-Salem. So I grew up in the suburbs. Most of my family is blue collar and far more rural. So if I said I was rural around them, they would laugh. <laughs> so out of respect, I will say that I'm rural adjacent. It's a tobacco town and Back in the late 90s, when I realized I was gay, I was like, you know, age 14, 1997. It was, this was the Matthew Shepard era. That's what, that's the best you could hope for as a gay person, either being Pedro on the real world and having, you know, and dying of AIDS or being murdered in Laramie, you know, on a hillside. So things were kind of dismal and everything was shrouded in secrecy, like, 
I had some gay teachers. They were clearly gay. We would see them out with their partners every once in a while. But it, it was something you, you weren't allowed to talk about. It was always, you know, it was mired in secrecy, but everyone knew it was happening. It was such a two-faced way to, you know, it was like the elephant in the room. And I never experienced a lot of hostility for being gay because I'm what I, I learned in college. I was told I was a bro. I don't, I'm not an effeminate guy or that effeminate, though I, I rejoice in, in my femininity or what have you. I, I guess I'm not on the surface. I'm kind of a dude guy, bro, man is what I've been told. I don't think so. I don't, I, that's not my self concept, but that's, I think that's what is projected, unfortunately. And so I kind of felt like I just couldn't fit in anywhere. And I, I became kind of, uh, homophobic myself. Like I knew I was gay. There was never a doubt in my mind. I never had any premonitions about being gay. I was just worried about the social ramifications because it basically spelled social death at that time because things were so crazy. Like in the kind of media that I was able to get my hands on, which was basically television, you know, it was just something you were seeing begin to be dialogued about, like, you know, gay acceptance or, you know, normalization of, of queer folk. And that was happening on certain programs, but it, it seemed very distance, distant because it was happening in huge cities and it, it felt nothing like North Carolina. I just kind of hung out in the closet and uh, I was in a, a very active in my high school's theater department. We all, many of us ended up being gay. We all kind of knew it, but even amongst ourselves, we didn't speak about it. I couldn't take it anymore. I went to college and then I was like, okay, I just, I had kind of a collapse. It was so retrospectively, I'm like, God, what I made, what a big deal I made about that. But I made a big deal out of about my sexuality because everyone else made a big deal about it. So I got the fuck out. I was able to study in Spain. It was the same cost as being in the States. I just went and did that like two middle years and it was like a breath of fresh air. It's far less taboo being a gay man, being a gay child, which is what I was, honestly. And I, I wound up living with Latin American artists and these beautifully depraved characters I met from Buenos Aires at, at 19. So while still a teenager, I kind of met and like a, f a family of people and they kind of took me in. I, I had a pretty well-adjusted adult life, honestly, because I was able to find acceptance as a teenager and then say to fuck with them all. Like, you know, and all, the, the bozos would always like, I, I would always have to deal with homophobia, you know, in bluegrass circles and whatnot. Of course, I didn't choose the most cosmopolitan loves. I mean, I really like <laughs> country shit. So that has been kind of frustrating because obviously... It wasn't cool to be queer and be country. What I've done now with Purdy Little Rainbows is kind of flip their imagery on them in my own, you know, queer way. Can I say faggotry? Here's an interview I can actually say this on. This yes. is, talk about rainbow capitalism. I, I'm a faggot. F-A-G-G-O-T. Faggot up in your face. Faggot, 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 faggot. I get called this word every day of my adolescence and I can't even say it. I write it on Facebook and it gets censored. That's like the flip side of rainbow capitalism. It's like, that's hate speech. No, it's not hate speech if I say it. And uh, my faggot friends and I, we call each other faggots. It's kind of like healing. Then there's then there's the faggots that don't want to refer to themselves as faggots because they want to be, I don't know, like their idea of what a straight person is, but also a faggot. <laughs> so it's kind of like this pathetic like walk through life and of course, Oftentimes, the ones that would fully reject that word and feel so, oh, I don't identify with it. They're also like gentrifiers. And so there's this whole like being a gay man is interesting because there's a lot of gay men that are kind of 
insufferable in media and and rude particularly white gay men and yep. you know gentrifiers <laughs> i feel like i feel like even if i were to like go to, to the community and find my role as a white gay man it sucks i'm just like so that sucks all of this sucks fuck it all let's blow a bomb up on it and the biggest bomb that i can blow up on all of it is rejoicing in my faggotry so that's kind of where i'm at right now and pretty little rainbows is my way of fagging up this hokey white identity genre of music and songs which is bluegrass some of them went in their impetus were awesome because they were you know a working class people's music like these people bill monroe would like go back to the farm between tours if you were in his band you had to work on a farm like this is real rural music like there's something that you can hear in the stanley brothers music that is straight up like uh, born out of hardship and like ex like experience and, and 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 you know so in this new bluegrass like you're gonna own that but like you have n never worked a day of your life on a farm like me and you're gonna t sing about little cabin home on the hill or something it seems ridiculous it's like come on what is it? it's it i think it coincides with like the propagation of white myth like mm -hmm. this is us this is our identity it's like that is not your identity that was the identity of a bunch of farmers who were born in the 19 teens and 20s it's like get with the program man change the lyrics stop singing about the you know the you you murdered a woman because of the unrequited love which she devastated you with i know a lot of artists use 2020 to just kind of like hunker down work on some material but for you you know i read that you are out and about you are traveling you are helping with like get out the vote efforts and also like running various concert series to you know spotlight marginalized artists and so my question is like how do you think covid became such like a galvanizing force i got separated from my Argentinian spouse, uh, husband of five and a half years, like right as, like right before the pandemic, right before I came on tour, like I split with Kat in late December, January, undid my living situation, moved all of my shit into my best friend's house. Oh, my, like one of my, one of my best friend's house who died in the middle of that process, like I split from Kat, like the 27th of December, one of my best friends dies on January 3rd, his daughter, who's also one of my best friends, people are like, wait, what he's saying? So <laughs> I was in Buenos Aires for a decade. I was married to this really cool guy that I'm still amicable with, but we had a very toxic relationship. I need to get the fuck out of that. Boom. We split up. Best friend dies. I moved my shit into his house, go to the Grammys trashy cruise ship dram grammys blah 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 come back to ba <laughs> hang out for a couple weeks make sure everything's in storage and then i'm going to come back and handle my divorce may 1st so i left with all that momentum and then we get it three weeks into like an 11 week tour and the pandemic hits which leaves my you know my I have band members got emergency flights out of the country so i started the pandemic with a shit ton of debt and a whole bunch of problems and also just this riding this wave of new inertia, like, okay, I guess I'm single now. I guess I'm living in the States again, because I had to handle all that shit. I wasn't an Argentinian national to get a flight back to Argentina, and I had to handle all the finances of the lost tour and all the crap. So I was just like, whatever. 
hunkered down in a friend's guest house and then I hunkered down in my van and I lived in somebody's backyard and then I another guest house. This happened for like four months. I finally got a house, a secured living situation on like July 7th. I was commissioned by this dude, Matt Hildreth, who started this rural organizing initiative. He commissioned me to do a song about the postal service, which went bluegrass viral. And then I got commissioned to record my song Pretty Little Rainbows, also because, you know, the Trump administration was on a full out assault, Mike Pence style with on all the queer folk. And so I had these successful songs and the momentum of the whole shit tornado of my life kind of like <laughs> turned into a, a rainbow swirl shit tornado. And then I just got to like gleefully, you know, fart around North Carolina with my faggotry and interview progressive people. And I, I ended up doing a, a web series for Get Out the Vote Initiative. We formed a, I worked with this indigenous Guatemalan director, my homeboy, uh, Roderico Yol Diaz, one of my besties, and his partner, Emily Ryan, who's the executive director of Witness for Peace Southeast. So long story short, I wrote a couple songs, they were successful, then was able to leverage a my participation doing videos melded with music, illuminating progressive voices from across the state of the North Carolina to get rural progressives out to vote. And we did that and it was a successful campaign. We had a lot of engagement in our music videos and we got to like make really good quality videos about incredible people like, you know, Reverend Deborah Hopkins, a transgender pastor from Charlotte, North Carolina, who worked, who ministers to mostly trans homeless people on the streets. I was writing music to go along with that series. And in the process, I, I kind of like stockpiled new material. And I felt like all of the, all of the craziness and all the tensions, I was living in Danbury, North Carolina. That's where I got my house. So I was living in like proud boy country. And I was seeing the tensions with my own eyes right up in it like i would wear a mask to the damn berry patch to go get some beer at night and you know i'd be asked like hey we don't really see many people coming in here with masks on why are you doing that and i was like because dog it's a pandemic man <laughs> he's like you're, you're gonna get sick some kid i felt bad i i didn't even like engage i had to i had to like kind of go into secrets i had to kind of to live in that community i kind of had to put on like my asshole face for all for a whole year just like i'm just gonna wear my mask anyway fuck off i was lonely as hell i made up a bunch of music and I made an album last spring i was wondering if you could talk a bit more about your own journey into activism because as you were saying i've speak to a lot of musicians mostly straight who sort of feel that their music is their activism but you fuck clearly that. do a lot more than that they don't do shit they're selfish a bunch of selfish motherfuckers if you're gonna use music to do anything, it has to be linked with grassroots activism, meaning action. You have to be doing stuff. You have to inconvenience yourself, if you will, and pick up the phone, help connect people, help people solve their shit, give them money, connect them with lawyers, help find them a place to live, deliver their groceries, point them in the right direction, translate something for them if you're talking about migrants. You know, there's so much you can do. And music is not activism. Activism is activism. That whole music is activism, that's like 
there's that's no better than posturing on Facebook. What I try to do is when I'm going to sing a song, I really like to know what I'm talking about. I want to feel like I'm singing it honestly. No one is the great savior activist. That's bullshit too. My own songs are a challenge to me to remember why I wrote them and like to actively be doing something, whether that's uh, using them to make sure someone else gets a bigger platform than I do because of it or gets money. A lot of people that are having difficulties in the world is because they don't have money. So make sure that the songs make them money. Like that's, if the song's only making you money and you're singing about someone else's misfortune, you're what we call an asshole unless that song is benefiting the people you're talking about. I don't know how else to say it. I want to switch a little bit over into um, Che Appalachia territory, but first, like, sure. could you talk about an artist, queer, straight, or otherwise, separate from you know your queer country shout out, who has really influenced you and maybe like a, just a quick fire whatever song comes into your head and we'll listen to it. Someone who's really influenced me. Well, I'd have to say Tim O'Brien and he's a straight guy, you know, he's like, <laughs> a, he's a straight guy, but he's what I call a pony girl. too. <laughs> he's a queer friendly straight person. He doesn't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's, I like, I like the ones that are so straight that they're like queer. It's, it's, it's rare. They're never like, I don't know. It's mm -hmm. yeah. Well, because they're secure. To, they're secure. Yeah, the secure. Yeah. The security of like the, you know. Anyway, I would say yeah. His multi more than songs. It's just like Tim was. He sings and plays different instruments. He sings with all of them in a really clever way. And I, I was as a kid, I was very mesmerized by that multi instrumentalist and singer songwriter and a bluegrass musician like self-identified bluegrass musician but they explored a lot of other things so i was highly influenced with him and then i finally got to meet him and hang out with him and he i he got he was on my album this year i sang a song on his album this year and it's just like a, a beautiful friendship that i'm able to now have as an adult like a full-fledged adult with someone that was really influential but i remember seeing him say things on stage that were like for a bluegrass audience crazily leftist you know and uh, as a kid and i was like huh did, is that what he meant or was he was that sarcasm and it's no like it actually turns out the guy was he was actually saying what he meant like he was really a leftist dude in this kind of pretty conservative sphere and uh, so he was very very influ influential in that way we'll listen to el commodore from tim o'brien's album and he walked on and then we'll get into the song that Tim played with Joe after this.
Hi, this is Dale, the founder of Country Queer. I think we've done a pretty good job so far of creating a space for queer voices in country and Americana, but we've done it mostly with volunteer labor, and that's just not sustainable. Become a member of Country Queer today and help us take our mission to the next level. Go to countryqueer.com membership to find out how. Thank you. This episode of Country Queer Spotlight is brought to you by Kill Rockstars. Celebrating 30 years of music that matters, regardless of genre, gender, orientation, or classification. We enthusiastically support Country Queer's mission of creating a space for queer voices in country, Americana, and folk. Find us at krs.gay. You're listening to Country Queer Spotlight, the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. You can find more Queer Country content and merch at countryqueer.com. Now, back to the show with your host, Rachel Colst. One thing I'm curious about to hear you talk is, you know, you chose to study in Spain and stay in Europe and Central America as like a an escape, but I feel like a lot of American queers leave their suburb and go to somewhere else in America. So I was <laughs> wondering, yeah. you know, like to a city or a bigger city. So I was wondering, you know, what led to that decision? And then of course, you know, those travels culminated in Che Appalachia. Hmm. Well, there was among much other things. A, yeah. Yeah. There wasn't much of a, it, I wouldn't say it was a a decision. It was inertia after a, a certain point because once I got out of the states, mm -hmm. I decided that I, I didn't really like the states, and I still don't. There's no public transportation. <laughs> I don't like that. There's no free healthcare. I don't like that. There's so many guns or and nuclear warheads. When you're out of the empire, it's it kind of seems like more relaxed. Like Argentina is interesting. Like there's people don't think about going to war. Like, you know, like it's not even part of their consciousness there's no reason to to you know there's no 
basically no army there there's you know it's it's kind of it's just not 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 even a reality that they mitigate with it seems like a calmer place to just be and people are not worried about what you do so people don't size you up you can just kind of be a, a person that enjoys hanging you can work whatever shit job you can get because everyone works a shit job it's a whole lot less focus placed on career and status and i think that lends itself to different kinds of artistic expression so the folk musics that come out of a place like argentina have this sort of eh, copacetic relationship with the limitations of one's reality so there's this beautiful melancholy in the music this like uh sense of being sad but enjoying it kind of vibe so when i went to argentina you know i ended up teaching private music lessons in my house and scraping by like i I spent most of that decade just kind of scraping by and just being kind of like another person that that was able to do what they were able to in that economy which is you know work enough to get by when we formed chiapalachi i formed the band with my students as I was teaching them. And that was it, life with no frills, kind of like room share with some friends. And uh, it was nice, it was gray, it was melancholy, it was beautiful, it was beautiful. So Chiapalachi was formed inside of that like bubble. And to them, they were having the inverse experience because they were studying bluegrass and old time, but the music has a different character. It's like vibrant and fidgety and, and a light. They were learning that soundscape as I was kind of assimilating into the soundscape of their country. And then at some point, the techniques were there. And and then I got to be like, okay, why don't we do this? So I got to bring my compositions in the Venn diagram territory where bluegrass and old time intersect Chacarera, Samba, Candombe, or whatever. And we explored that. We explored that continuity, that, that possibility. But coming from, I guess, a pretty authentic place, so it sounds hip, like not to toot our own horn, but there was a lot yeah. of years of investigation to produce Chiapalache. It was a community. It was three of my students, one Mexican, two Argentinians living in this huge city. And then we came up for like, I got some, you know, I was able to help get them tourist visas approved. And then we got some finances from a couple NGOs in the United States for a cultural roots trip. We came up and we, before we came up to the States for like a month going to fiddlers conventions and, and stuff, uh, we made an album of, of music that kind of fused Latin American music and bluegrass, Latin grass. We came up and in the States, it just caught like wildfire. Now that, that was what we were riding on from 2017 until the pandemic. It, it really was just like, jumping onto a unicorn and just <laughs> it happened really really fast of course it was a lot of work it was a lot of travel and it was we went through a lot as a band just to make it happen it was also wholly unsustainable because we're back and forth from 5,000 miles away on planes the future of air travel between continents is different now things are different after the pandemic it, it if Ask anyone who's trying to immigrate legally to the United States. Things have changed. There's a lot of like, so <laughs> did the pandemic 
kind of kill our band. Well, for, for the time being, it kind of looks like that. So that was another part of my inertia last year in the pandemic. It's like the whole construct of my little reality really did hit the fan. When big shocking stuff happens, you either pivot with the inertia coming off of it or you let it stampede you and crush you into the ground. So I chose to just roll with it as best I could. Look, the world really did just change. It's not going back to what it was. Of course, a lot of Americans aren't unaffected by that because they would never dream of going anywhere else. There's a lot of people from here that just stay here and don't know the outside world that much. Speaking of cosmopolitanism, on Borrowed Time, a lot of your songs are in Spanish. And in some cases, like, excuse my accent, hermano migrante. Sorry, sorry, sorry. You use bilingual lyrics to really stunning effect. There's like two lines in English and it's going to hit you in the gut when people who are listening listen to it. But before we get there, what was your consciousness around writing and singing in Spanish? It sounds like you didn't grow up speaking it, but I can also hear in this interview that in some ways you're much more comfortable speaking in Spanish too. I am actually, because it's been, you know, from age 27 on, you know, I went to Spain and I did my undergrad studies in Spanish, but it was Argentina, the decade in Argentina was, was pretty mm. much what sealed the deal. I wouldn't say I'm more comfortable in Spanish, but certain words will come to me in Spanish because the concepts are less used in English and vice versa. You know, sometimes it'll happen when I'm speaking Spanish, I'll be like, man, I wish there was a good way to say that in Spanish, but, but, but I'm very much connected with, with the language. It, it's, it's something I've contextualized in so many ways that I haven't contextualized English because I haven't been the same person living in the same way. I think, I think I really hit my stride as myself when I got to Argentina. I do sing in Spanish. I sing hermano migrante, which means brother migrant. This, this is, this is inspired by Mexican music and the beautiful traditions of Mexico that I'm now delving deep into because I'm spending time in Mexico. And I, there, you know, there's there's a migrant crisis. There's a lot of people that wind up in the States because where they were from uh, is the mouth of a shark and they literally have to get out or die. And so there's a migrant crisis. This is largely due to, you know, American intervention, interventionism at one point in history. And then later it's been exacerbated by drug cartels and gang violence and all these terrible plagues facing Central America and Mexico. And they have a lot to do, of course, with the United States. There's this, there's this, there's this, uh, you know, unavoidable cataclysmic relationship between this country and Latin America, which supplies all of our food. Otherwise we'd be foraging for berries and, and, and nuts. I mean, what the fuck would you eat in the States? Nothing really grows here. I mean, stuff does, but it's not like, look at what you, what we eat. Come on. It's grown somewhere for God's sake. Anyway, people don't like to notice that or think about that. Every migrant knows that is true. Like the migrants come here are are highly aware of what's going on, you know. So there's a this song is for them. I, I sing I sing it to them, and they get it. It's you know I, I, what I do in the song is I make the I, I talk about something autobiographical. When I was a kid, I used to walk around the Sour Mountains and wonder who lived in them before colonizers, poor white people. And I just posed that question in the song, who was here before we were here? Because, you know, 
white people like to erase shit <laughs> and not learn about it or even acknowledge that they're there. They're still there. The Cherokee and the Kuala boundary are still there. They're still Okanichi people. They're still Lumbee people. They're, you know, nonetheless, that's the question that song begins with. Then it goes into an analysis of the irony of the fact that a lot of the people that are coming as migrants and are being mistreated in the United States and deprived of basic human rights and are basically enslaved and work, you know, so many businesses thrive on undocumented immigrants doing the work. Then the culture has the audacity, you know, to say that they don't belong here when the great irony is that this is their ancestral homeland and not ours because many of them are indigenous to the American continent or have indigenous ancestry. And here we are a bunch of, you know, white people with European ancestry. So that, that's what the song says. Now, if you say that as a white person in white circles, it's viewed as cringy. That's cringy. Okay, well, <laughs> if you say it in Spanish and you sing it in sort of a stylistically Mexican way, it's they understand it 100%. Now, one other anecdote about this song, the reason I think it touches so many migrants is because I really, I was really able to speak to them, but not, this wasn't by my own decision to do so. I actually wrote a first draft of the song and I think I fell into some really hokey WPS, white people shit, without even realizing it. And I sang the song to my, one of my best friends, Armendra Aguilar. She's Argentinian woman that I've known since I was a child and we're very, very close friends. I sang it to her and she laughed at me and she's like, what are you? And I was pissed. I was like, are you belittling my song? And then I, I aggressively responded like, you know, what the fuck? And then she started, whoa, you know, she put, she put my ass in my place. Like she, <laughs> she got very angry and then started crying and like gave me a very like stern reprimand. Like, how dare you? Why don't you sing to them what you really want to say? You coward. Like you underestimate what your audience who the fuck are you singing to you think they're not going to understand that so she's the reason i even got like i was like oh my god what unfathomable unfathomable hubris on my behalf to pink wash the shit to like not give it like and so i took that and kind of like broke down and like thank you Admindra. we ended that phone conversation with a lot of tension and i came back from that and i wrote the song more from my heart and I'll say this, like, had it not been for her talking some sense into me, this song would not have the effect that it has. So so if it wasn't for uh, a migrant friend of mine who has migrated all over the world, Admira, from economic collapse to she had recently just fled some traumatic shit in Chile where she'd been living. And Admira, I really owe it to her for helping this song really be true you know it's hard to be true and i failed at it the first draft and then i got off my my fucking fanciful high horse and i wrote from the heart and this song brings tears of healing to migrants themselves so gracias almendra y gracias a los migrantes que lo escuchen eh, los veo y espero que este mundo en algún momento sea mejor so I had to figure out what two lines in English can synthesize everything I'm saying. And I, mm. and that's what I, that's what I stumbled upon. And I'm glad that you picked up on that. I'm glad you made that observation. You're not the first. And, and I, and I, and I'm just, I'm really happy about this song.
plus on the album sorry i keep talking but i'm really no, proud okay. of the, the album on the track on the album features uh, rolando revilla who's a tejano he's a tejano accordionist from michigan but now living in ohio who is playing who plays with my mentor baldemar velasquez in the aguila negra band anyway we got this guy from michigan tim o'brien one of my my hero that i talked about earlier from west virginia bluegrass legend then my friend uh negoci fields this brilliant indigenous musician from oklahoma native dude osage cherokee creek one of my best friends and then another one of my best friends this cajun bassist from lafayette louisiana trey boudreaux and then this you know pixie dust laden faggot from north carolina which is me so you think about like the 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 cast of characters that made that song happen it's just like i think it's an achievement i'm maybe most proud of in my life in a way because the music is also representative of a lot of a lot of different communities that it refers to like the like the song that's the activism component of it in mi tierra natal andando por la sierra Cuestionando leyendas propagadas sin fin. Una pena inquietante. Al güerito me sigue. Como era la gente. Que ya estaba aquí. Estados Unidos Su pasado apesta Desde siempre detesta Admitir la verdad Nuestra tierra querida mentira hijo solo es nuestra por saber bien Ser en otro lado, dice no eres de aquí. Mientras sin tus esfuerzos ni podrían vivir, 
gritan calla migrante esperanza no hay do you work without papers keep us fed and go die yo te veo migrante me conmueve tu lucha aguantando torturas en mi tierra natal sociedad de cara ni le entra a la mente que este gran continente es tu tierra ancestral My last question is, who's a queer country, roots, etc.? You know, certainly doesn't have to be American, whoever you feel like you'd like to shout out. Billy Constable was one of my mentors. He was, you know, a really great bluegrass legend. He was also gay, and a lot of his close friends knew it. You know, his family didn't. It was, it was something he was never really out about or able to talk about. But nonetheless, I talked about it with him, and it was comforting just to have like a gay role model in the music and he's also like a badass you know and everyone knew he was a badass but it's like there was this prejudice like you know gay people can't play bluegrass like straight people always say that gay people can't play bluegrass women can't play bluegrass it's like <laughs> that's what we're dealing with like the genre is so convoluted by that toxic masculinity <laughs> bullshit but so billy I, I knew him since i was like a teenager and he was you know 15 or so years older than me. He was just always very supportive, very friendly. And we just humanized. Like, I knew it was okay because he was okay. So I knew I was okay that I had a place in the world. So props to Billy Constable. I love you, buddy, <laughs> wherever you are. So to close out this episode, we will listen to a video I found on YouTube from 2009 of Joe performing the song, Don't Forget to Live While You're Young with Billy. And after that, we'll listen to one of Joe's new songs, Red, White, and Blues.
first heard of David Crockett on a Japanese TV while sitting in my living room with a bowl of mac and cheese. More butter, please. His hat would sure look good on me. Top of the morning operator patched me through to Uncle Sam. I got laid off this Christmas Eve and I overcooked the ham. He'll understand. I need a helping hand. I got the red, white, and blue. From my head down to my shoe Lord, I wish I had a nickel For every time a car broke down It won't pass the emissions test Try bribing every shop in town And now my lungs are brown I need an ultrasound them yuppies sure love money I bet they think they've come real far Me, I'm happy singing country songs Picking my guitar down at the bar Sands caviar I got the red, white, and blue Blues. From my head down to my shoes Get you one, Tim This episode of Country Career Spotlight has been brought to you by Kill Rock Stars, celebrating 30 years of music that matters regardless of genre, gender, orientation, or classification. KRS.gay. Well, cowpokes, we've reached the end of the trail for this episode. Thanks for listening to Country Queer Spotlight, the podcast that introduces you to rising LGBTQ stars on the country scene. Head on over to countryqueer.com for more queer country content and merch. Rachel Colst has been your host and producer. For new music by Roots artists of all genders and orientations, listen to our weekly podcast, Adobe and Teardrops. Country Queer Spotlight is edited by Zach Tomlinson 
executive produced by Country Queers founder Dale Geist. And our theme song, Ride Me Cowboy by Paisley Fields, is courtesy of Don Giovanni Records. Ride me cowboy.